and he said, you don't understand, uh, female singers cannot sing in Iran. And mm. I said, what if I don't sing in Farsi? What if I sing in English? Maybe we can... I was I was hoping. Yeah, something. For a route, you know. And he was like, we don't need Celine Dion Ooh. in this country. And I was like, yeah. And he said, get out of my office. He was very rude. Okay. And I was like, okay, I will get out of your office. But remember right, my face. You will hear my voice one day. And he said, get out. I said, I'm Kolazin. Remember my name. Welcome to Billion Dollar Moves, the show for the top founders, funders, and execs making billion dollar moves that are shaping our future. From the growing pains of a unicorn journey to IPO, the question of impact, purpose, and returns, we go real deep in the world of venture and business. I'm your host, Sarah Chen Spellings. Before we hop in here, I have a quick favor to ask you. Smash that follow button wherever you're tuning in from. This way, you'd be the first to know of new episodes that drop. And of course, please tell your friends so we can amplify more stories built on grit in the U.S. and Asia venture ecosystem, and that we can all keep making billion-dollar moves together. Now let's get started. Now all of you know a little bit about me. I'm all about feeling women-led innovation, and it would be remiss for me not to take the opportunity to highlight someone that I came across uh, fairly recently where I heard her beautiful voice, I heard her song, I heard her soul uh, being demonstrated through her song and her voice. I was compelled to say, Gola, you need to come on the podcast. And here she is today. I'm so excited to be inviting Gola Zin from Iran, an exiled singer who has become one of the faces of the Nohi job movement that has taken the world by storm. And this conversation is going to be slightly different. It's going to be a little bit difficult, a little bit hard, but we're here for it. We're here to learn the big lessons from Gola and really take inspiration from it so that we can all keep making billion dollar moves the way Gola has. Gola, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Sarah, for the beautiful intro. Thank you. I mean, I mean every word. It has been truly remarkable to learn a lot about your journey, what you've been through. And I want to start today in through Billion Dollar Moves fashion with who is Gola? Give us a little bit of context of how did you become this person to be brave enough to say, I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. Enough is enough. And I want to do what I have to. And that includes maybe being exiled from the place that you recognize as home. Well, I was born in Iran, in Isfahan, which is a traditional city. Uh, it's a beautiful city. It's the capital of Persia for a couple of times. Uh, but people are very traditional and some of them uh, and some are religious. Or I may say actually were, because I'm not sure after this current revolution of Iran, how it's going. But family life was good. I Inside life was very different from outside life, especially after the age of seven, because you start growing into, into the age that you realize the gap in gender differences and everything, that you're not a boy, you're a girl, and that there are so many things that you cannot do. For, in, for instance, you cannot go to school without wearing hijab. Uh, which was very difficult for me because I really hated it. I thought it's very limiting and hot. And I was a hyper girl. I was full of energy, um, super active. And I just couldn't stand hijab at the, from the very beginning. And then you grow older and at each, each stage in your life, there are things that reminds you that you're a girl and you're limited to do something. For, in, for instance, I loved playing football um, or riding my bicycle but those are the things that girls don't do or cannot do in Iran. So I had to shave my hair when I was like, you know, 10, after after nine, after when I was like nine years old. I kind of had to shave, shave my hair so that I can 
be one of the boys in the street and play football or ride my bicycle. I changed my name to Ruz because my brother was Behruz and I changed my name to <laughs> So Ruz you flipped Be. that so, around? Wow. Exactly. So that, you know, we can be, we can sound related. Um, you know, I, I did what I could do until a certain age because then your body doesn't let you to look like a boy. So yeah. um, at that age, you know, I decided to, okay, now I have to change something again. I decided to make friend with me as a woman, you know, and accept mm. the fact that, okay, I'm a wo- woman. And for many years, I remember, I felt like watching everyone from inside the household, all my friends, all my male friends playing football or riding bicycle and feel like, you know, I really wanted to be a boy. I wish I was a boy. I never, you know, at that age, I felt like I really don't like, I really dislike being a woman. And those are the thoughts that made, made me think like, okay, but why? You know, those are yeah. all the whys that you keep asking yourself. And then when it came to university and the career time, my family really wanted me to become a doctor or a lawyer or right. a dentist. The definitions like of success. Yourself. That's exactly. right. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, for my family, I think it mostly came from part from not for, not so much from financial side of it, mm-hmm. but from a service side of it. My mom and okay. dad were really into helping people. I like that. Yeah. Um, I remember, like honestly, I remember my dad. I re- I thought when I was a child, I thought my dad loves other people more than he loves me because yeah. he was always available for them, and he didn't have time for me. And I was like. Well, he clearly loves them more than he loves me. But now I understand that he was a people person. He was always there for them and he was well respected. So at the same time, he put so much responsibility on my shoulders to be sure. a good girl because you don't want to ruin your family's reputation, reputation right? Mm-hmm. So it was a really tough environment. I know it was a loving environment, but at the same time, I had to break rules within the family from the household so my rebellious kind of, I think, behavior started from the household and then the society. And then it just grew. I just learned saying no to what I don't like. So, so Gula, you know, what is uh, interesting and I, I think what would be helpful for us to really understand the moment that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes. of course, you know, this leads into Masa Amini, what happened September 16, um, you know, to this beautiful 22-year-old woman who was killed and eyewitnesses have confirmed that it was the morality police that was behind it that triggered an uproar. But my question to you, you know, we were talking about this in the beginning was you're almost the manifestation of what's happened in Iran, right? You are exactly the generation. You're in your 30s. So this was, your parents were of the generation under Ayatollah Khomeini, 1979, and you're the next generation. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your upbringing in that context. During Shah time, okay, mm-hmm. everything was free. There, there was freedom. There was personal freedom. People could wear whatever they want to wear. They, there was no pressure when it came, came to hijab or they could drink alcohol or they, there was discos and clubs and everything. The only thing that didn't exist was political freedom and that's what that revolution that's why the revolution happened no one like none of my family members or any of their friends before the revolution were under pressure of being fearful for their life or you know try to live a certain way so that we avoid not having a job or not you know um or a reputation uh, otherwise our reputation is going to go under a big right. question mark or we will be prisoned they didn't have any of those things so they were hmm. very peaceful but suddenly after revolution everything was changed with all the promises that Khomeini 
you know, made that you will have freedom of everything. We will even give you each um, a house, free house. You don't mm. have to pay for any water bill or electricity bill. The oil uh, money must go directly to your pockets. All of those promises, lies. So they realized, okay, so this was a lie. And then they went through war, eight years of war. They, after all, they, they just really wanted peace again. So whatever the, the government told them to do, they were doing without any resilience, without um, any saying no to any of the things. Resistance, you mean? Without, mm-hmm. without, resi- I'm sorry, yeah, without any resistance. So they were just keep living their life. I think that generation to avoid any complexity or any, mm. any problem with the government. And they wanted that for us as well. So they wanted a no conflict life. Okay. So sort of the pursuit of happiness, you know, life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. Because you can, you could easily be a good girl, become a doctor, wear your job tight, lie in the school or in the university that you pray at home and your family don't drink alcohol and you don't drink an alcohol and get married at the university when you, I mean, when you're in university studying medicine or um, law or something that is acceptable by the society, no freedom of traveling even. So what kind of life is that? It's just being really fearful and just living with a very, very minimum and not even basic rights. Okay. So so tell us a little bit more about this, you know, so that we, you know, I mean, we have a global audience, right, from Asia to America. Yeah. And we see what's happening in the news. And as you and I know, because we've lived abroad, right, the way mm-hmm. the media interprets world events can be very different. So, you know, with you here, it gives us an opportunity to really understand what was life like when you say there was no freedom, but you could still live a life if you followed the rules. It seems like a interesting, I don't know, like you're you're walking on a tightrope. Yes, you are. You, I was. And many other girls and women were in the same situation. If you followed, if you accepted that you're a second citizen. As a woman. As a woman. Okay. Could live, live your life. Right. Not as free as men, obviously. Not with the same rights. Women still don't have the same right as men have. In the court, like mm-hmm. my testimony is half half of a man. A female singer cannot sing, so yeah. don't sing. Go become a doctor, right? A woman has to wear her job. If you are hot, if you don't like it, you have to wear it, right? Just wear it and be be obedient and live your life. But this is not a life, is it? There is no freedom in there. There is no freedom of choice. And after a while, it's not you. And that's what they like. They like to shape you in the way they like you to be, uh, so that okay. you don't have any agency, so that you cannot have any voice. So that you cannot create in future for yourself or other girls or women. So positions of leadership, all held by men. Yes. In the corporate, you know, what what does that look like? Even in the corporate sphere, are women represented if they follow the rules, so and so forth? Could you be, I don't know, an accountant and be a CEO of a big company? Very difficultly. Very, like when, it's very hard. Mm -hmm. I remember I had a friend whose mom was an, an amazing engineer. She got to the very top of the company, but she couldn't become a CEO because there was a man. And I remember they 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 immigrated to Canada just because of that. They were like, no, enough is enough. And the mom was like, I know what I deserve. I'm, I no longer stay there. So mm-hmm. this is the thing. Many people left. Many of our brains, many of our talents, the brain many of our artists mm-hmm. left and decided to you know have a life outside of Iran. But for me, I because I still have my family in Iran. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't immigrate it with my family outside of Iran. I yeah. still have my immediate family in Iran. And for me, the step forward was really to make a difference, to change. Because mm. if I don't talk about it, that female singers cannot sing, 
many mm. people on the other side of the world doesn't don't know. They don't know that the, the most basic right for anyone mm. is forbidden in Iran. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, your career in singing. Now hold that thought. Finding a service solution that helps you keep customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at a networking event. HubSpot's all-new service hub can help with their service solution part at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and chatbot to help you handle your frontline tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. We love the sound of those things. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. And how this has catapulted you to become one of the important faces of the No Hijab movement. When did you first find your voice? I always loved singing, really loved singing. And I remember like even in our family gathering, my mom always would say, Gola, come over, sing a song or two or play a piano for us. Um, and I love that. I really like inspiring people when I'm like, I don't know, when I was playing the piano, when I was singing. And I kind of liked it. And apart from that, I loved how I can express myself through singing. I didn't need to think about anything. For example, for when I play the piano, I have to remember the notations or how I place my fingers, where I place my fingers. But with singing, it made me free. I could, it's like I'm in a meditative mood. I just sing. I don't think about anything. So from a very young age, I started singing and I was always encouraged by my family. And when I wanted to take it as a career, then that was the most difficult step because the family was like, okay, there's no career for a singer in mm. Iran. Even when I wanted to study music, I had, I, there was no high school for music in my city. So I had to study graphic design and then study music in the university in Tehran, which is the capital of Iran. And, you know, I decided to sing as much as I could with many different bands that they needed a singer, but it's always a backing singer, never a main singer. It's never, you can never be a main singer, of course. As a woman. As a woman. If you go on the stage, it will be with other other girls and women like 30 of you like a choir or a male main male singer and right. then you can be the second singer so that your voice cannot be clearly heard so this i've been thinking a lot about this as we were preparing for this tell me more about why that is and and how how is is it sensuality the fact that a woman should never be in as you know, I grew up in Muslim majority Malaysia as well. And the interpretation of Islam there is totally different, right? Yeah. I mean, we have great singers that are celebrated. And so I, I, and I just wonder, you know, and we were talking a little bit about this and, you know, we'll go on different tangents. But what, what is the perception there? The fact that a woman cannot be in the forefront and her voice cannot be heard alone. Tell us more about that. They believe it's very provocative. Well, how do you provocative, yeah. Provocative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is how they believe, but I believe it's a matter of controlling. I remember so you can sing solo okay. only if your audience is female audience. Okay. So there's not even one single man can be in your audience. Not there wouldn't be a photographer, there wouldn't be a sound engineer to record anything. So not recording, not filming, not photography is allowed. And I remember I once wanted to go for a permit, get a permission because if you want to have a concert, you must get a permission to be able to sing. So I went to get the permission and I said, I want to sing um, in front of a female audience. Guess what? There was this mullah who had to give you permission on your voice, if your voice is good enough. So he would sit behind the curtain, you could sing, and then he would give you the permission of the concert. And I always what? asked... <laughs> Okay. How crazy is that, right? If yeah. a man can hear me, why can any why other men, men in general? Hear me? 
right? So mullah, and, and just for context, a mullah is like a… A religion leader. A religious leader, A religious right. leader, sorry. Okay, yes. yeah. Mm-hmm. So a religious leader who, yeah, who is known, for example, in the Ministry of Direction, there's a whole organization called Ministry of Direction. So anything that you want to do, any permission must be taken from that organization. If you want to have a concert, if you want to write a lyrics, and there are different categories. So for your lyrics, you must get a permission. For mm-hmm. your music, you must get a permission. For a concert, you must get a permission because they have to go through all of that, make sure the lyrics is not against Islam or mm. against the Supreme Leader or is not talking bad about the situation in Iran. Right. The music shouldn't be very dancey. Um, dancey. Yeah, that's not good <laughs> enough. No? So no pop, no Taylor Swift, not allowed. No, yeah. I'm telling you. So when even when... I, w- I had a concert. I was in the first pop band, pop female band in Iran. So we would go on stage. There were morality police mm-hmm. inside the, the hall to make sure people are not going to dance. They're seated. Oh. We didn't have any right to move even. We just had wow. to play or sing. Very like at in a toned down can. manner. Right. Yeah, with a nice manner. So this is how sick it is. Like, and, mm-hmm. and even if you get the permission, even if you, they say, okay, you have permission to sing in front of women, they might interrupt your concert. That's why I say, wow. I think it's a matter of controlling more than a matter of being it related to any religion. Yeah. And I, I think that's an important separation, right? So we talked a little bit about this, you know, with everything that you've been through, it's hard to dissociate Islam and what you've grown up with because you were told this is Islam. Yes. Right. But of course we know now in America, there are many positive interpretations of the religion where I sincerely, because I grew up with a lot of friends who are Muslim, I sincerely believe that women are supported in the religion, right? Mm-hmm. In many ways. And it's how it's been interpreted to be weaponized. Yes. I think as human beings, we should not be pushed toward any religion because the result of it can be very dam- damaging and can be opposite of it. So I was pushed towards Islam, pushed towards believing in what they wanted me to believe. And I very much disliked it. While maybe if I was born in England or Mm. in America and I had a chance to try Islam or try any religion, maybe I would actually choose Islam. Maybe I would because I was not forced to do anything. When I was forced to do something, even my mom knows, right? She's like... I should have learned it very early on when you were a child. When I force you to do something, you, you do the opposite. You, immediately, you do the opposite. When I say no, I wonder why we're friends, Gola. <laughs> you know, mm. and that was me. And I think that's maybe that was the key to my success. A little, I don't say mm. I'm, I'm really successful, but where I am, I think like it is the result of doing absolutely something mm. against what I was told. Because I think there is always a room to create something new. And when you are told not to do that, that something is a problem is very powerful and I want to experience that. Why did they tell me not to do it? Why are they telling me not to do it? Yeah. And then you wanted to try it yourself first. Yeah. And if you think mm. music and women are banned in Iran. And that was one of the first steps that I realized music is powerful. Mm. As women, we are powerful. That's, That's why it's scared of both of us. So if me as a woman get together in my music, I will be powerful enough to change what I want to change. That's powerful. I love that. And, and I mean, there's two directions I want to go with this. One is your music. And the second piece is, of course, your role in using your music to do what you're doing right now. So let's talk a little bit about your music careers and how you then made the bold choice to go against the grain and do it anyway, but resulting in you not being able to then step foot in your own home, being an exile, living in exile. 
how did this happen? So, so there was no high school. You were telling us that there were, you could only do graphic design, as you were yeah. saying. In my city, I could only do gra- graphic design, not even study music in order to go to high school, to, right. to university. So the only art route that I could take to get to music, stu- studying music in the university was graphic design. I studied graphic design and I really enjoyed it. It was right. very different from anything else. And I went to Tehran to study. I, I was accepted um, at the University of Surrey Tehran. And I moved to Tehran. Uh, I lived with my brother for a while who was studying uh, medicine, of course. I studied four years of university, music, traditional um, performance. I played Santur. I don't know if you know about Santur. What, what is Santur? It's a string instruments and it has like seven 72 strings oh is that the one that's like with it's a hammered instrument so you ah, play it. it's okay beautiful probably okay. you have heard it in yeah Eastern i'm sure i have movies, yeah that's more Eastern, it's very yeah. similar to kanon yeah that's yeah. what i was thinking like the the chinese kanon. instrument right okay yeah, so, uh, yeah, I studied Santur and I, at the same time I played piano and I played the flute. I was really experimenting things. I loved music. I right. Was, I, no, I dived into it, really. And um, I played with different bands and it was never enough. And am I going to sing? And I remember at a very, very concert, and I tried, believe me, I tried mm. hard. I even went to the ministers. Please listen to this. I, even, <laughs> I am all ears. I, I'm here for it. I even went to the Ministry of Direction. So you call Ministry them. of Direction. What is this? You mentioned this a few times. Who Who is Ministry of Direction? It is a specific ministry that they tell you what you can do, what you cannot do when it comes to art and music and everything. Okay. So they decide what is right and what is wrong. So it's like a censorship. Absolutely. Okay. You got it. So when you call them, you're like, okay, I want to book an appointment for um to see like for a permission to sing. And right. you're like, who's your artist? And I said, it's it's me. me myself and, and I. Like, well, <laughs> it's impossible. Female singers are not allowed. Mm. Like, this is not working. I need to meet the guy and I'm, I'm sure I can convince him. So I called back two, three days later. I said, um, I would like to book an appointment for an artist. They're like, who is the artist? I said, Muhammad Aslani or something, a male name. Um, and she said, who are you? I said, I'm his manager. So they gave me an appointment. I walked in, I met the, with a guy and then a couple of minutes into the meeting, I said, well, listen, I want this for me. I want to sing. Mm. And he said, you don't understand uh, female singers cannot sing in Iran. And mm. I said, what if I don't sing in Farsi? What if I sing in English? Maybe we can... I was I was hoping. Yeah, something. For a route. Yeah. You know, and it was like, we don't need Celine Dion Ooh. in this country. And I was like, yeah. And he said, get out of my office. He was very rude. And I was like, okay, I will get out of your office. But remember my, my face. You will hear my voice one day. And he said, get out. I said, I'm Kolazin. Remember my name. And that was a day I said, you know what? I will make sure that I'm as loud as I can. I will make sure that this is not going to happen to any other girls my age. Why? I'm going to sh- make sure we go on this stage, on this stage in Iran. So anyway, I decided to move to England. Uh, was this with your family blessing? Like, was it? Well, I had to lie to them a little bit. And I, had to <laughs> I love say- it. Okay, go on. <laughs> I had I'm to say, for I really want to go study. I want to do my master's. Blah, blah, blah. And they were like, okay, you can only go to England. Honestly, I was really interested to learn about psychology of music and what is in music that is so powerful that moves me despite all of the hardship. I'm still loving it and it's moving the world. It's shaking the world. So I studied music psychology for my master's, but at the same time, I was 
I was singing with artists, but mm-hmm. not under my name because I was hoping that I can go back to Iran or, or come back. But then there was a time that I was like, no, I just, I just, I completely want to dive in. I made my decision. I went through days of crying. Yeah. Okay. So how old were you at this point? 23, 24. So 23, 24, you were doing your master's. Yeah. 23, I would say. Yes. 24. How does someone come to that decision that enough is enough? I want to live my truth. It is the rumination that kills you. Shall I not? Shall I? Shall I not? And then you're like, yeah, if I go back, I'll be miserable. If I stay and I don't think, what is the dif- what difference has it made for me and many others? So I might as well do something for it. And my mom is quite old. I called her and we had a very deep conversation. I was like, mom, you know what? There will be a time that, and it kills me to this day, that I, I may not be able by your bedside when you're very old and you cannot travel again. And I don't know if I forgive myself that day or not. I have something really big here that I need to get done. I need to get this done. I need to sing because I love it. I know music is power. So I'm going to make sure that I'm going to do something with my music. But then I'm going to make sure that I change this situation because women must be able to sing. And that's it. I think maybe, maybe it's my purpose. I don't know, but I will fight for it. And she was like, you know what? I cannot change you. And I cannot say no. I tried for 23 years. 23 years. That's when I can yeah. never change you. She was like, you, you do it. If I, she said, you're that kind of girl. I realized when I put you in a bottle and I put the top on the bottle, if you want to do something, you'll find a way to get out of that bottle and get it done. There you go. And so this is what I want to dive into because your mom and perhaps as well, your father, I'd love to hear, you know, his role in your life, but they were of the generation before that actually lived by walking on the tightrope, right? You know, they were living whatever was required of them. And they, you know, I, I think when we look at the Masa Amini and the protests that have come, come about on the streets, and we need to talk a little bit more about that. But what I see, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm viewing this from the outside, but it's really the demonstration of the different value systems, the youth. So you, in talking to your mom, the older generation, did she understand that this was the demonstration of what your values were and that this was not you alone, but also everyone else? You know, it's like the future generation of Iran that is going through the same thing. And how does... How did she deal with that? It's like the older, I mean, it's a representation of the older generation and the younger generation, right? Mm-hmm. Two things. I think at the time, there are so many good questions. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know to answer, not to forget. When you don't know, you don't know. And at the time that my mom and dad were living their life in Iran, they didn't know what is freedom. I mean, outside of after king after the kingdom they hadn't seen the west probably and i know that they had the freedom before that but my mom and dad they're very conservative very into education very into service and giving service to the society they were not i wouldn't say they weren't fun couple i mean i love them so much yeah but <laughs> don't tell my mom but well she was 13 when she was pushed to marry my dad 13 13 and my dad was 23 and so she, ha- she has her own stories. She wanted to become a doctor, but she never she could never do that because <sighs> she was married and she started to make clothes for others. Yeah, I heard because about the this. family, you know, she decided not to be in touch with the family and stand for herself and fight for herself and be the person she wants to be. And then she mm. started her um, fashion company and she's really successful, 
you know, she was wow. working two shifts in different two different cities. I remember yeah. early in the morning she would wake up at four o'clock, take me with her to another city to teach sewing and fashion to many women. I remember tables and tables of women with like sewing machines in front of them and she was teaching and giving them directions. And then with a the driver, she would go to another city, which was the city I was born and lived and have her second shift of teaching. And so it was her. Right. She's not into really fun life. As much as I was. Yeah. So (laughs) it makes sense, but forgive me on my, you know, extrapolation. But I think, you know, what I'm trying to get at is um, your mother clearly had ambition. So in her generation, women were allowed to be entrepreneurs, it sounds like. But it was just not, I guess, an association with Western values. Is that, would that be a right way to frame it? Because singing, particularly, Mm -hmm. it's associated with Hollywood and all that singing for uh, that is such a good point so with her singing was well I don't want you to become that person because that person gets naked in front of the camera and we have reputation here remember um do you want to become that person do you want to become that person are you gonna Mm. how much are you gonna how much of your clothes are you gonna remove in front of the camera I'm gonna sing about it was all of the questions that he she asked And I think she didn't have the same vision that I had Mm -hmm. about my music and how big I wanted to be. She thought maybe I I am just choosing singing because it's fun and it's colorful Mm -hmm. and it's a show business. But I was actually thinking very, when it comes to music, I was thinking, how can I make a difference? I was thinking exactly the same way as my mom thought. Just in a different way. Just in a different area. But she couldn't think as big as I was. I, I Let's compare her life to her mom's, right? Her mom was a person who pushed her to get married when she was 13. And she had a great vision of becoming a doctor. And she could never do that. But she still created a big life for herself when she talks about it. And my grandma never thought that my my, my mom could do that. And I think I, I just moved to another level after my mom. Yeah. And I hope one day my child is going to... That's right. Each generation is supposed to get better and better, yeah. right? So it's mm. a vision that, you know, because of our generation, because of maybe how much we, we are using social media, because my mom is not a generation of using computer or, you know exploring the world through computer or google or yeah. things like that and, and internet is still heavily censored in iran right oh, absolutely even when we were talking she has to use vpn yeah i understand i mean we had to get someone to go to our place yeah. and say okay yeah um because i don't call her direct yeah it's internet. dangerous so, yeah yeah so the older generation, the younger generation, that's, uh, I mean, it's really, you're, this is why I, I wanted to interview because I interview you because I think it demonstrates what truly is going on, right? You're mm-hmm. like a microcosm in a way yeah. of the change that's happening. So we're thinking of the many uh, golas in Iran yes. that have experienced the same thing. Mm-hmm. Tell us how we got to the moment of September 16th, 2022. Many things. I would say absolutely lack of freedom. Not taking women and girls seriously, not respecting them enough and accepting and being fooled by the government. Because this is an old saying, make div- um, make division. Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. That's right. Yeah. And I think they divided us in many ways. There are so many minorities in Iran, but we always say what minority they are big part of northern Iran, they're a big part of southern Iran, they're a big part of western Iran. Yeah. And they kept dividing us. They said, oh, Turks, Lord, Kurdish, mm. blah, blah, blah. even they created jokes. 
know, so I'm from Isfahan and I would make a joke out of the Turkish guy or yeah. the Kurdish guy who was in Iran. And these are the cultural things that they played to, you know, divide, uh, divide us. Yeah. And I think there was a point that we realized, okay, they are dividing us. They are dividing men and women. They are dividing culturally. And this is not going to work. And what happened with Masa Amini was that she was really, really, it was very unlucky, but very lucky at the same time, because she was very, she was a normal girl. She was not a rebel. Maybe if she was a rebel like me, it wouldn't be as effective as ah, it was. interesting. Does that make sense? Because she was doing something wrong. But she wasn't doing something, anything mm. wrong. She was just walking in the street with her brother, even a girlfriend, not having too much makeup, still had her scarf. While some women even dropped their scar to fight against no compulsory hijab. She wasn't even doing that. And she was arrested. She mm. was begging the police, begging the morality police not to do that because she wasn't from that city. She wasn't from the capital. She mm. came to holiday, to mm. Tehran on holiday with her brother. So that is doing everything right. Everything that a mom and dad would like her to do. Be with your brother. Because you have to be accompanied, right? You can't go alone to all these places, okay? And you cannot travel. Like, as a girl, um, you don't travel without a... a chaperone. A chaperone. So, she was a good girl. Very normal girl. And that is, I think, what what makes made this very important mm. and big. Uh, she wasn't doing anything wrong. She was living her life. And then re they realized, it was a wake-up call. They realized, no matter how you live, even if you follow their rules, you can still be arrested mm. and killed. And this is, this could be my sister, this could be my mom, this could be my daughter. And I think that was a wake up call. And I am really loving the unity of people at mm. this moment in the history of Iran. This revolution is very sad because many people are dying. Many people are being tortured, yeah. raped in the prisons. Anything you, it is wild beyond imagination, but it has brought people together. It has united people, no matter what. I mean, these people, these men were the people who would, you know, in the bus or in the street would harass you, you know, would, um, how like do we call Grope it? you? Yeah, like, like grab physically you, like grab physically you? physically grab you. Uh, but aren't they supposed to be Muslim and living the Muslim way? Why are they doing this? Yeah, because it's enjoying, like, you're passing them and they suddenly grab your... So it's, you know, it's control. It is it's way. exercising control more than and using religion, weaponizing religion. That's what I I, I see, right? In that way. Well, I, I, they're not police. I mean, yeah. what I'm saying, what I'm talking about is not a police or any authority doing that in the street. Normal people, normal men. And when you when in my time, when you mm. would say, "Why are you doing this?" or if you would argue, or if suddenly police were will arrive, they would say, "Well, you're asking for it because you're wearing makeup or you're." A dress is not long enough or your scarf is not proper so you're asking for it but now it's so it's changed so much that i'm so excited to be able to to watch this moment yeah of and unity that how changed our even our men are to now be supportive like when they are arresting a girl men come to help that girl they're like no no we don't let you take her it wasn't like that when my time. They were like, yeah, yeah, take her because she's not dressing properly. Mm, this is fascinating. And, and I, actually, I really like your point. I, I never thought about that, about how she was an unlikely matire, right? Mm -hmm. In that she represented the everyday girl that is someone's daughter. Because Gola, of course, is like way over the Western side, right? She's not, my daughter is not like this. Yeah, my, But my Masa Amini could be everybody's daughter. So that's fascinating. So who's on the streets? Today, I mean, 
Tell us more about the protest has been ongoing for some time now. We're recording this、uh, September 16. It's, you know, December now, and the word is still out about the morality police being abolished as well. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, who's on the streets and have we made progress? Yes. Okay. Oh, look, you, you always have the questions. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one to answer first.、Uh, this revolution, this. First was a movement,、mm. and now it's a revolution. It's the、mm. longest, as I said, it's not a movement, but it's the longest that it has after 1979 revolution. This is the longest people have been in the street, and they're not leaving the streets until this regime is leaving. First, it was no to compulsory hijab. Now it's a different matter. Now it's、mm. like we don't want you any longer. You're、mm. a murderer, you're feeding terrorism, you're corrupted. You have killed many of our sisters and brothers. We want you to leave. So, everyone is in the street, old, young. But I would say the new generation are the flag holders、mm. of this revolution because they are brave. And then they made everyone else to become brave as well. They're like, I'm not scared of this. I'm going to go to the street knowing that they can never go back home. And even they write it on their Instagram.、Yeah. They're like, listen, I'm getting ready. Yeah. To go to the street to fight for our freedom. If this is my last video, remember I did it for freedom for Iran. And that's touching. And actually, one of them was killed. So, this is how they are. They know, they have the knowledge of maybe I'm arrested, maybe I'm tortured, maybe I'm killed. But enough is enough. We had enough. And are these young people, I mean, I'm thinking what they're in the universities, right? Because at one point they were also segregated, right? In universities and、oh, they、yeah. didn't like that. And then, so these are educated young people、mm-hmm. who may have had access to internet through VPN. Oh, yes. And are fully aware of the world, the possibility that is not Iran today. And they're willing to be killed for it. Yes, they are TikTokers. They are the generation of Instagram, Facebook. Information, knowledge, knowing what is happening in the world. One of the girls who was killed was singing, Take me to church. Take me to church. Right? Like, this、mm. is how up to date they are. They, they know the current music. They are looking at the West as well.、Mm. And this is why it's very important for us to, to support them in the West because they are looking at us. They're、mm. looking at other countries. They want the other countries to. To acknowledge their bravery,、yeah. to acknowledge their revolution,、right. to support them, to make sure that their voice is amplified and they're not only seen, but they are properly heard of what they want. They are demanding the Islamic Republic of Iran to go and they are demanding other countries not to work with them, not to shake hand with them.、Um, there's this amazing activist, Masih Ali Najad. She says it beautifully. She says, every time we shake the government, You go and shake h a n d with them. Stop doing that. We don't want you to save us, but we want you to understand you don't have to save the government、yeah. every time we shake them. So that is a fact. They're asking all the countries to close the Iranian embassy because why do you need a murderer's representative in your country? Why do you even work with them? I mean, there is a big lesson right now going on. Look at Russia and Ukraine. Look at how the dictator can move from its borders to another country. So, do you think the, Iran- the Islamic Republic of Iran, if they don't take care of their own citizens, if they're killing their own people, do you think they're going to stop? Of course, they're moving out of their borders. Of course, they're mov- going to move to other countries. Of course, they don't care. They love power, they love feeding terrorism. And I practice this with you Zan Zendegi Azadi. Yes, well done. Well、Zan Zendegi Azadi. So, this is the headline of the protest Women, Life, and Freedom. 
And as you said, this was their starting point for women to step up for the first time on the streets. And it's gone beyond that today. What is the end goal here? And how does, will we see that, I don't know, sometime soon by the end of this year? What is the expectation of the people on the streets? Well, first of all, as you said, it was a it was a women-led revolution. That's why we have women or women, actually women in this slogan. Life and freedom, because those are the things that has been taken mm. away from us for a long time. That's why they have been, they are created to be close the next to each other. Zan, um, the revolution started with it. Um, life, people are really not living anymore. Mm. This is not living. This is the same as being dead for them. And then the freedom that at the end mm. we, are, we are fighting for. Um, mm. And it's been taken away from us for more than 40 years. And I, re- I truly believe, Sarah, that we are heading the right direction. I'm really glad that now people are ready for a change because I was not sure maybe five years ago people were. Now really people are ready. People are hungry for freedom of choice. And it's not only hijab. Exactly. It's everything. So the hijab was but a symbol. It was a symbol because it was very limiting in many ways. The moment you're seven... And you have to go to school. You have to follow what they want you to look like. Mm. You cannot decide for your body. And if you think about it, it's not, it is a symbol of controlling because you no longer have control over your, your own body. And then it, it limits your horizon as a person. It's always, I can't, I can't, I can't. It's a mindset. Right? It's a mindset that it eventually you become this person that feel like, yeah. Can't. And then you agree. And then it becomes normal. And it is very dangerous. And change is insidious. It's how if you keep letting it go, keep letting it go. Because you can't, you can't, you can't. You never move forward. And everything becomes impossible for mm. you. Like, but we can do this. They're like, oh, yeah. do you really think we can? So you decided to take life in your own hands. Yeah. Go to England because you had some sort of support system there. With What is it like being in exile and pursuing your dreams? It was very hard. Mm. Very, very hard. So many nights of crying, so many yeah. days of hard work, questioning yourself, doubting your decision, of course, mm. because you're like, well, now I came out of the closet, basically. I'm a right. singer, right? <laughs> now I'm a singer. I, my name is out there. And I sang one or two songs, political songs, and I definitely cannot go back. But what if I don't make it to where I want to make it? And then it's a doubt. And it's normal because we're a human being. We can Mm -hmm. never make sure when what we want will happen. It's just to have faith and just go for it and say, you know what? I can do it. I will do it no matter what. And I... Then started making this system for myself of, you know, I read or read a lot of self-help um, help book because mm-hmm. how could you go forward without that? Because you kind of, you kind of um, lose your roots. You don't remember yourself. You start forgetting yourself. What did I want? What did I want to become? You know, wow. because there are all those things that reminds you of your past. They're not there anymore. So which, and which version of your past self did you, because you were also the Gola that had to follow the rules in many ways, right? And was not allowed your own identity in many ways. So when you say you're remembering your past self, what is this past self that you're looking for? My past self was a girl who was really repressed, Mm -hmm. but inside she had a big lion. And she had a song in her. No, Mm. I... 
I was repressed, but I was like, I was, I was looking at them. Like, <laughs> they, they had, they had me in the prison, you know, yeah. for my head up, and I was like, I'll show you who I am. You will see me one day. You, you will be dead one day. Mm. You know, because they make you so, mm, so helpless that then you become. Uh, for me, it was the case. Maybe right. for other girls or boys, is not. But yeah. the rage make you stronger me stronger mm-hmm. made my decisions stronger uh, made me a bigger enemy for them so i just wanted to remember myself and remember what i always wanted like i wanted to become a singer you know i wanted how did i imagine myself you know when you're yeah. a child and the only way that i could go back to those moments was music again so i would look for very old songs that i used to remember in my room uh, when i was a child um because even when I was a child, like music was not free, right? Yeah. And my mom and brothers and sisters would s- smuggle mm. tapes to inside. So I would listen to Michael Jackson, <laughs> Madonna, and I always loved to have hair like Madonna. I loved yeah. her at, at the time. Um, so those things take me back to the time that I was in Iran. And then I remember I was like, yeah, I know that feeling now. Mm. And then th- those things kept me going. Just remembering what I wanted to be or who I wanted to become. And also I get inspired by, you know, how, how the music can create a change. I do brainstorm with myself from time to time in exile. And I miss my sister, my, my, my sister, my family, my friends, my family home. I really miss. That's yeah, what of I course. really miss a lot. And of course my dad's grave. I miss that very much. When did he pass? I think 18, 19 years ago. Oh, wow. Thankfully, I was in Iran because that would be really bad if I wasn't in Iran. Yeah. I would, I would lose him. But life in exile, going back to your question, is very mm. difficult. But I would not make it, I would not let it make me a victim. Does that make sense? Yes. No to that. I'm not your victim. You're making me stronger to make this change and make sure the other girls, the next generation, mm. is not going to go through the same thing yeah. to follow their passion. That is exile to me. It's like, uh-uh, you're not controlling me. I am controlling you. So I love that. I mean, there are a lot of tips in there. I mean, just having prompts to remember your core, the fire in your belly, what got you started in the first place, because it's hard, right? Every day, I mean, a lot of, I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of the guests on my show, they get really vulnerable and just, you know, share how they lose their identity because they've been doing this thing for so long that they forgot why they did it in the first place. It was just expected of, they expected of themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had the last episode before you was this woman who by the age of 30, material scientist turned uh, investor, unicorn backer, massive success. And she still tells me, you know, I still feel like I'm failing every day. I totally understand that. That is so true. I, and I and I feel her, really feel her. Because first of all, I think some of us, no matter how far we go, we still feel like, okay, I want that stone. I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm, I reached this stone, but how yeah. about that? Stone? And it's never enough. And we always want to create the next level, do the next thing, help the next person, or, you know, achieve our dreams. But it's very important to think like, to go back. And I have these meetings with me, believe me, like I'm yeah. my diary, I'm like meeting with me. Yeah, right? that's important. It is very important. Self-reflection, yeah. Exactly, self-reflection. And I say, listen, don't burn yourself out. Always go back, get inspired by, by what you want it to become and right. just compare yourself from, compare to what you want it to be and where you are and yeah. have gratitude because along the way, universe brings so many things that you didn't even expect. Abundance mindset. Exactly. And then you're like, I didn't expect <laughs> this. So yeah. thank you, universe. Thank you, God, yeah. for anything that you, you believe in. 
And then you're like, now move on. So what is success for you, Lola? Success. Wow. <laughs> success is a measurement, right? Of where you started and where you are now. So I think success is never one point. Success is not, okay, I get this, so I'm successful. Success is happiness, is achieving many goals. Mm -hmm. It depends like what goals you have in mind, mm -hmm. small and big. And making sure that you never stop for me. Success is that when you know that there is no stopping point until right. you're dead. Okay. <laughs> to me, I'm successful if I can move until I don't breathe anymore. Okay, so there's no retirement in sight for Gola. No, no. <laughs> Now hold that thought. Talking to Loud, hosted by Chris Savage, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. On this podcast, Chris Savage, Wistia CEO and loudest talker, takes you inside the minds of entrepreneurs as they share the hilarious, informative, and most challenging aspects of building more human brands. Everything we love here at Billion Dollar Moves. Now, an episode I loved recently was the one with guest Joe LeMay, jiu-jitsu living entrepreneur and co-founder of Rocket Boat. He talks about how an airplane epiphany took him on a wild ride that started with a Shark Tank flop, but ended with a $50 million exit. You know, that's our jam. Listen to it, talking too loud, wherever you get your podcast. So this is powerful. And I want to talk a little bit about your song that went viral. And you filmed that yourself. You were yes. telling me in the hallway with your hair blowing. <laughs> Tell us more about that. You know, what inspired that? What what were, can you share some of the lyrics there as well? Yes. So the, the song that went viral was Hakame. 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 Uh, some other songs before that also went a little bit like, not as big as this. Yeah, this was huge. Yeah, this one went really big. But I had like Betar Sazman, which is like, which means fear me. Uh, that was released as a single as well, and people loved it. Mm. Um, I think many people could resonate with. And in Better Sazman, for example, I said, fear me because I don't have anything else to lose. And that's mm. exactly what I believe what is happening today. Um, people don't have anything else to lose. That's why they're in the street. So that was fear me. But then Hakame is was about compulsory hijab. And it was line by line. It was exactly how I felt in my life. Listen to me, you dark night. I'm the son of the future i don't like a job i no longer want, want to wear it but obviously in a more tasteful way <laughs> it's more poetic yeah it's how more... long did it take you to write that it was actually very quick i didn't mm. even think about it but every all of the films that i watched that was coming from iran showing how the morality police is pushing the girl inside the van yeah. despite them fighting back because my hand was once broken Fighting Your back. hand was once broken. Yeah, I was fighting back. I didn't want to go oh to the Oh my back. goodness. <laughs> so, wait, wait, do you have we, a scar? No, no. But it was like in... Your left hand? Yeah. Do you know I have a broken arm here? <laughs> Are we soul sisters? I did this in London. Not not as not as poetic as yours. I was doing cheerleading. I was competitive cheerleading. That's, anyway, that, we digress. Glorious. We, we digress. <laughs> but okay, you broke your arm. Yeah, and I then so you, so this was true to you. Yes. Uh, so it was like I was resonating and I was like feeling more furious and more furious, more angry. And I wasn't like, no, I have to do something about it through my music. And it just came. I didn't even want to do that, but it just came. And then I was talking to my producer and I was like, what do you think about it? And he said, let's do it. 
Yeah. It's, he said, I never wore a job because he's a man. Yeah. He was like, I never wore a job, but I respect your feeling. And I think this is strong. So let's do something about it. So mm. we wrote the song. We released it. So many girls sang it. You know, And what was the date job. that this was released? It was kind of last. It was last year that I released it in Iran, not mm. international. Uh, because the system in Iran is very different from like, we don't, people don't usually listen to Spotify. So we have two labels, Avang and Radio Javan, and they, they are usually the, the labels release the songs. So I released that song through them, although it's my song, but they yep, just released right. it. So many women in TikTok, they removed their scar, sang to it, but not huge amount of them. Mm. They just, because they, they, there was no video. And then there was a day before what happened to Massa, I believe like it was a month or two. August. Mm -hmm. Yes. The government decided to have a specific day to acknowledge hijab, to make it more glorified, right. to make it go more legit, right? So mm -hmm. it was like hijab day. We are going to have hijab, hijab day. day. Wow. And we were like, okay, no, mm. no. So there was a campaign, no to hijab, hashtag no to hijab, no to hijab starting these were started by the students in universities or no normal people we just started were on tiktok as as, or whatever yeah, TikTok, hashtag okay. hashtag twitter the girls they were like no we don't like it what do you mean yeah. hijab day hijab day no to hijab we are going to turn it into no to hijab day and what happened like two three days to the hijab day i just felt like i want to uh, you know i want to just record myself singing the song in front of the camera show my feeling how i really feel about it and i just want to be completely naked and free in the video and I recorded in the corridor of our flat and you know it was a windy day I remember and I to be honest I felt really elevated I felt like when I was singing that I felt really empowered I truly felt that song when I was singing it and then I put it on my Instagram and it just went crazy women did the same thing like they were sharing it and yeah. resonated with people I'm very thankful for that that I mm. could um, help them you know, empower them and say something that they meant to say for years, decades, through music. Gave them a song that they were thinking about and that was inside their soul all along. Yeah. Wow. So that was Hijab. That was a part of my current album, which is mm. called Change. And you released that? Yes. Uh, the album was released on, it was like 15th of September, I believe. 15th of September. Okay. If I'm not. Wow. In September. Wow. It was in September, okay. released, and it was like very sudden because I no one knew what is going to happen with Massa. Yeah. And then the album was coming out and that happened. And to be honest, I am really happy that now the world is seeing what mm. I was talking about in this album. Because my whole point with this with change was to for the world to know what is happening behind doors. Yeah. When the government is coming out and go to the UN and, you know, is collaborating with other countries. Really, what is happening to women, girls? What We cannot even enter the stadiums to watch football. So these are the things that I... And each song has a story behind it. There's a booklet that comes with it. So it's all translation. All the lyrics are translated and the story behind them is there. So it was for me more of a bringing awareness. But after this, I am really happy that more people around the world are now watching Iran, seeing what is happening. And Absolutely. I hope they stand by, by their side. I'm yeah. not in Iran, but I, you know, it's very important to be their voice and yeah. amplify what is happening in Iran and be, make sure that we listen to the right story. Um, for example, the current news about mm. hijab and how they're going to get rid of the morality police. That's not true. That's false. The news, the national news in Iran, 
said that's a false news, that we are not going to do that. But the lobbies of Islamic Republic of Iran, outside of Iran, turned into a big news suddenly, written in English. And it's the distraction. They always do that. Yeah. They love distracting people. As soon as something is big, they distract everyone. So the lobbies of Iranian yeah. uh, and those people who whitewash what Iran does, we need to be careful and not to be fooled by them. So you've, with this song, with everything that you've done, you've been catapulted to star, more of a star status than ever before. You're under the spotlight, which is what you wanted in some way, but that comes with a lot of responsibility, right? And we know, I mean, we're in the same generation where we see girls who are mentally, you know, depressed because of the comparison that they have in social media, just a bombardment of so many things, right? Which causes them to, I mean, even from suicide rates, there's, there's a cost to social media. So my question to you is, with this responsibility in the light, in the gaze of the people and the young generation, as almost as the voice of no hijab, how are you thinking about social media today? And I think social role? media is a wonderful tool. And mm -hmm. if not because of social media, this revolution couldn't be this revolution. We were so lucky that the news from in, in Iran leaked outside of Iran very fast. And I think one of the reasons, it's my own theory, one of the reasons was that our president, president that we never chose um, in the UN at the time to have a speech. So they didn't shut down the internet on time. The news traveled very fast this time. So we were very lucky with that. And I think social media is our best friend mm -hmm. as much as it can be really destroying. But mm -hmm. if you use it in the right right way to spread the world, to support each other and really use it for change or creating a better future and not be fooled by the numbers or like how many likes I get or yeah. that person looks better than me. Like it doesn't mm. matter. Really doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, you are beautiful for someone. So let's don't be distracted by all those noise that, and it's difficult. I get it. I was, I had problem with that right when I moved to London with Facebook, you know, and I had to study and mm. I had to live with 40 pounds a month <laughs> yeah you know and there was no partying Sorry, student to, life student yeah. life yes and I had to work but my mom shouldn't I didn't want my mom to know because she never wanted me to work as a I don't know a wait, waitress or mm. um, sales assistant she was like you didn't go there to do these things but I wanted to experience life so anyway I experienced how destroying these things can be because you're always comparing yourself and no one posts a crying moment or sad moment mm. or when they are I don't know having problem marital problem or money problem or yeah. all of that no one says those things mm. but we all have problems I am yet to meet, meet someone who is not struggling with either relationship or career or self-doubt or yeah. they all have it because we are human but I think it's it's very important to use the social media to elevate us to empower us mm. and to unite us that's the most important thing so we've covered a lot of ground. What next in your career? I know you have your own label. Yes, I do. So beyond your albums, beyond your song, you now have your own label where you're using it to empower other women. Tell us more about this. So when I when I wanted to release my songs mm. in England, I had no label to back me up. And it was very difficult. I was new. I didn't know yeah. how things work. So me being me, when something doesn't exist, you create it yourself. So I said, you know what? I'll, I'll have my own label. I don't need anyone else to release my song officially. Mm. And I created this label, which is called 
Zan Recordings. Mm. No, Zan. Zan. This woman. So Zan Recordings. And it was first to release my own songs. I wanted to be independent. I didn't want anyone else to tell me what song to sing, how to dress. I wanted absolute freedom. And that's why I created uh, Zan Recordings. But later, my bigger vision for Zan Recordings to support as many girls and women as possible to be able to express themselves in the way they want and not be controlled by a male-dominated industry or a label to tell them what to sing about, um, what to wear, how to be branded. Because at the end of the day, music is for expressing yourself, right? It's an important tool for any person to be able to express themselves either through singing or through creating music or through playing an instrument. And yeah. that is what I want to give, be able, I want to be able to give to women and girls without them being forced to go through the way I was forced to go yeah. through. It was hard. It took me many years, but I don't, it shouldn't, organically, yeah. it shouldn't take that long for mm. someone to, to be able to sing. Did, how, how long did it actually take you from the time that you, I mean, you were in university 23, you said, right, with your master's? Yeah, in London. Yeah, when but do you feel was, like it like, took off for you? From 16 years old, officially, mm -hmm. I wanted to become a singer. Okay. I wanted it to, yeah. to be a career. But then after university, I can say it only started four years ago, officially, mm. that I was able to save enough money from my own pocket yeah. to release a song you know how it yeah. works the studio the marketing the distribution um and it was very hard to be an independent musician or singer is very hard because you have to com uh, compete with the with the big boys you know mm. with girls who are backed up by big labels so it was very hard and I will never give in. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to write a, fi a fund for this label to be more powerful and have the right um, instruments to help other women and girls. Absolutely. And we want to find ways to support that. And that's why you're here. Okay. So now we've covered everything that I think I've wanted to ask. I mean, we could go on for hours, I but know. let's go to billion dollar questions. Okay. okay so ahead. these are quick questions. Uh, mm -hmm. Whatever comes to mind first. So no context, just... Say what first comes to mind. You ready? Billion dollar questions, quick questions to Gola, who is an exiled Iranian singer who is using the power of her song and her music to empower women and girls. First question, worst advice you've ever been given? Do what we are telling you to do. Okay, best advice you've been given? I have a foggy brain right now. <laughs> Follow your dreams. Follow your dreams. Money or power? Whoa, mm. money. Because Fame. money come with, comes power. Fame or fortune? No, no, going back. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about that money or power. Power in what way? Can I know? Okay. No, but Let's that, that was... Later. No, but that's interesting. I think you... Whatever power first comes to mind, right? So you think money gives you power. So... Okay, let's roll with that. So fame or fortune? Fortune. Fortune. Okay. What would you tell your younger self? Don't give up. What are you watching on Netflix, Hulu, whatever streaming service right now? Can I tell you? I've been so busy. I don't I don't even... I haven't <laughs> the last one. The last thing that you watched. Come on. Don't judge me. Ghost. Ghost? Yes. Oh, yes. an oldie but a goodie. I like it. Okay. <laughs> what is your favorite book? My favorite book of so many books, honestly. Um, I love Dr. Joe Dispenza, so mm. Supernatural. Supernatural? Becoming Supernatural, Dr. Okay. Joe Dispenza. What was your lowest low? Lowest low? What does that mean? Like the moment when you felt you were about to give up, like this breaking point. Have you ever when been I'm there? When I'm disappointed by someone, when someone lies to me, mm. I break. And my, okay. I cannot function anymore and I feel like 
I have to, yeah, collect myself again because I really trust it. Okay. And finally, so this can be a longer one. What would be your dream self, Gola in the future? What does that look like? Focused, unbreakable, and knowing that I changed so many lives. Wow. And with that, Gola, I think it's a wrap. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for your bravery, your courage, and your leadership. Thank you for having me, Sarah. You, there were some amazing questions and I hope I, I, could, <laughs> I could answer you them did. Well. You did. Well, keep doing you, keep singing your song and keep making billion dollar moves. And thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow our socials on Sarah Chen Global to get the latest on the show. It would really help me out too if you enjoyed this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with a friend. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings and you've been listening to Billion Dollar Moves.